Hi, this is Terry Givens, the CEO and founder of the Center for Higher Education Leadership, and this is the Higher Education Leadership Podcast. And today, I'm happy to say we are welcoming Marissa Curry, who is the Director of Program Development at the National Society of Leadership and Success. And today, we're really going to be talking a lot about student success and, and student-centered leadership, but I want to start by allowing Marissa to introduce herself and tell us a little bit more about what she does. Great. Thank you, Terry. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, So I work with the National Society of Leadership and Success uh, and am responsible for anything that's associated with getting our program up and running at a new institution. Uh, So all of that comes under me. Uh, We currently work with 700 colleges and universities and serve over a million student members. Uh, The National Society of Leadership and Success is the largest leadership honor society and collegiate leadership development program in the country. We offer three certificate level programs and also a parallel set of credits. We're the only honor society to actually be accredited, um, and we have that both through Cognia and NCCRS. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the reason for that is that it's really part of our foundation to say that this is more than just an honor. We have a dedication to educating future leaders and providing students with that professional development throughout the rest of their educational experience. Oh, yeah, that's really great. And I do want to mention, of course, we're still dealing with the COVID crisis right now, yes. and we're all working from home, so we both may have little noises in the background and all that. But <laughs> yeah, I'm curious, how have you guys been managing things as we've been working through the crisis? Yeah, uh, well, on a personal note, I am very thankful that I already worked from home and Mm -hmm. that actually COVID and everybody else working from home has brought a lot more understanding about some of the the pros and cons (laughs) to working from home. Yes, especially when you have children. (laughs) Yes, which I do. Um, I have a little girl named Astrid. Uh, She's going to be four next month, um, which is just wild. I can't believe she's four already. I know every parent probably says that at every single (laughs) age. um, So for me, you know, the the experience has been pretty seamless. Also, everyone on my team um, that reports to me works virtually as well. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's been that part of it's been pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly working in education and working with campuses that are in such an unknown time. Uh, has its struggles, but I'm thankful that we already had an online modality for our program. Mm -hmm. And so as a result of the situation with COVID and campuses either going online for the fall or maybe doing some kind of modification, Mm -hmm. um, we're upgrading our online program right now. Um, And it's actually set to release in 10 days. So we're almost there. (laughs) Um, So you're busy. (laughs) Yes, we've been busy. uh, But it was nice to come from a place of like, of, you know, we already had it and now we can just level it up Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to needing to build something new from the ground up. Yeah, that's pretty true for our center as well. We we were already an online portal and we've just been in a phase of uh, you know, updating and upgrading what we're doing on a on a regular mm-hmm. basis. So that's and I as I also work from home with my 
you know, I have my husband and my two teenagers around. So, you know, it's, it's been an adaptation having them around, but otherwise, you know, for me, working <laughs> from home is the norm. Um, and, you know, I just want to send a shout out to especially all your member organizations. I know this is a tough time and for students, yeah. it's a tough time. And um, but, um, you know, we we were connected because we're, we are looking at the upcoming uh, conference that NASPA is having. And I'm curious how you guys got connected and, and you know, can tell us a little bit more about this conference that ha is happening at the end of July. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so we've been partners with NASPA for quite a few years, um, and the depth of our educational partnership has really grown considerably in the last two or three years. We've been involved with NASPA both at the national level and regional level, um, and both organizations, both NSLS and NASPA, have worked pretty hand in hand to provide student services and student affairs professionals with the resources and education that they need to positively impact their students. But this year, we were called to do something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. uh, I know NASPA's conference went virtual, as many others did uh, back in March. And between COVID and what's happening with the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, higher education has been presented with some new challenges, or rather maybe put a spotlight on some of those challenges that already existed, needing to provide more distance education, a need for more diversity, equity, and inclusion training. And just with this heightened environment, less access to support, and a real crisis in the industry, we wanted to do something more, you know, mm -hmm. and to contribute. So that something more has turned into this conference that we're building together an event that's really going to be focusing on helping professionals in the field be more agile in their decision-making, kind of cut through the noise and get to what needs to get done and get that done. Uh, and most importantly though, to take care of their staff and their students while all of that is happening, which mm -hmm. I wanna be very transparent about is an incredibly difficult juggling act. <laughs> yeah. So, at the end of this month on July 28th and 29th, we'll be co-hosting this event with NASPA called Leadership in Times of Crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really going to be focused around how are we responding and bringing some of those um, kind of Fortune 500 business practices to higher education around change management and agile decision-making. And you couldn't have given me a better <laughs> hook to work with because my, so we've been asked to do a panel uh, for that mm -hmm. conference and uh, my partner or colleague, I should say, uh, Jeff Burstein, that's what he does is he's a trainer for, to get folks into the agile approach to, to um uh, strategic planning, management, mm -hmm. and leadership. And so we're going to be talking about a student-centered approach to leadership, which actually uses that agile model, um, which is really helpful for being able to set up decision-making processes that can react quickly to uh, changing situations. So I think this is going to be just a perfect marriage with the kind of work uh, we do at Shell, which is, you know, we've had numerous articles in our newsletters about 
um, crisis management and, and leadership. And I you know, and you know, the people listening to this podcast are generally folks in higher ed in leadership positions. And so I think this is going to be a great opportunity for folks to, you know, join in and, and get a sampling of what that agile approach to leadership is all about and what it means to, to be a student centered leader. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Um, Thank you for participating. We're excited to have you be involved in it. Yeah, I think it's really, you know, a critical time, obviously, this is why you guys mm-hmm. are doing this, but it, it's also, as you mentioned, you know, we've got the Black Lives Matter movement, we've got, you know, the, and, you know, I think what what's happening for me with a lot of this is watching things like the communications, and, and I'm a parent who, of a college student, so, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm also a receiver of the communications that are going to parents and watching what might be happening with my son. And this is such a, a hard time for, for higher ed institutions because the landscape keeps shifting underneath them. Yes. You know, I mean, I would not have expected that on July 1st, we're seeing the numbers go up for COVID. Right. You know, I'm based in California and, you know, a, a, a week or two ago, we thought, oh, we're handling it. You know, we've been sheltering in place. And all of a sudden, these numbers are going up again, which changes the landscape for these folks. You know, it's like, oh, my God, you know, are we are we going to be able to have college sports? You know, and this this uncertainty just has such a huge impact on students. And and I it's I'm so glad you guys are, are working so closely with NASPA around um, working on these issues. But, you know, one of the things I want to mention is, you know, when I was a provost and, and a vice provost at UT Austin, is that there seemed like we, we just tend to be in these silos between academic affairs and student affairs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it drives me crazy because we're all focused on student success. But I'm curious, you know, how, what your perspective is on that and if you've had, uh, you know, much, done much work on trying to get kind of academic affairs and student affairs working more closely together. Yeah, I've had the opportunity to do that a couple of times. Uh, as I've worked with institutions and in implementing our program where, you know, there was maybe a faculty member and a, um, you know, administrator on the student affairs or student services side. Mm-hmm. I always think back of uh, one of my favorite examples of this was uh, at Mercer University's Atlanta campus. They're a campus that's a senior college. So mm-hmm. it's um, juniors and seniors only and a lot of professionals and, and slightly older students that participated there. Uh, and they had a faculty member who teaches leadership and a director of career services who were facilitating our program together. Mm-hmm. And they were just this incredibly dynamic duo. It was just <laughs> a, a perfect combination. And I always think like, oh, if I could do that everywhere, if mm-hmm. I could set that up everywhere, the the impact that the program had in that situation where not only did they have a dynamic presenter and leadership educator helping to lead and facilitate the programming, but they had someone for career services who could, you know, see students reflective journals and provide them with direction on career opportunities. I mean, what a great symbiotic relationship that really is giving the students the best of both sides, uh, both sides in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, another example I always think of on that is um, at Sneed State Community College. Uh, I'll talk about them a lot. They are one of my favorite uh, campuses in the country. I've been to their campus. Um, I 
know their uh, president who recently left and their VP and both their VP on the student services side and on the academic affairs side was involved in implementing our program at that institution. And it was mm -hmm. so incredibly successful as a result mm -hmm. that I think maybe, <laughs> maybe <laughs> if we could show more examples, uh, there always seems to be a little bit of um, it's misconception. Always, well, maybe. And maybe even a little competition. Yeah, you know? from one side or the other that says, yeah. oh, the faculty do this, or oh, I don't know what they do over there in student life. Um, <laughs> and if only we could show them these examples of the incredible power when those two areas partner together and bring their expertise together mm -hmm. on projects and programs, you know, maybe that's the way, mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe that's the, maybe that's the right path forward on breaking down those silos between student affairs or student services and, and academic affairs. Yeah, I, I think there's lots of ways to approach it. I mean, one thing that I experienced when I was provost at Menlo College, well, for the, one of the first things I experienced was we were going through the accreditation process. And um, one of the things we really had to work on was the, working on outcomes-based education in terms of developing our uh, program learning outcomes and course learning outcomes, but also our institutional level outcomes. And, you know, I, I had to spend a lot of time, you know, working with the entire campus to let them know, look, this is not just, you know, about academic affairs. You know, student right. life needs to have their own uh, learning outcomes. You know, athletics has to have their learning outcomes. And, and so that was an, an interesting, um, you know, transition from, you know, being, we, we had to come together and, you know, really focus in on what are our institutional outcomes that we want to see. And so I think that's another area, and then being able to assess it, right? right? I mean, assessment is critical these days, and the creditors <laughs> are looking to see, are you doing, you know, what are you doing about this? And, and since yeah. you guys are accredited, I assume you have to deal with this as well. Yeah, um, it was a pretty exciting moment in my career when I got the opportunity to be a part of our accreditation review team. So mm -hmm. I worked for NSLS for most of my professional career and heard a lot about the uh, trials and tribulations of the accreditation mm -hmm. process <laughs> uh, and getting the opportunity a few years ago to be on the other side of it was pretty neat. Uh, and even before that, uh, probably folks that might listen to this down the line on my team, uh, when you say assessment will laugh because mm -hmm. that is has been an obsession of mine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've been advocating for and been involved in uh, not only identifying our learning outcomes, but really making sure that we're assessing them, that they're the right learning outcomes, uh, mm -hmm. and that you know we're helping our students and proving that we're helping our students grow and learn. Uh, that you know all the time in the world that you might spend on good programming or good events you know and get positive feedback like i had fun is great but <laughs> we really want to know that the students are learning what you're yep. trying to teach them and the only way to do that is by having assessment of uh, and so i'm super excited that this fall we're going to be launching um uh, a nationwide, so we were or piloted it with 
some of our schools are beta tested it, I suppose, but some of our schools last year, uh, but this fall we'll have nationwide learning outcome assessment for our foundations of leadership certificate. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm super excited to start to see that because the first sampling was really great in seeing that our students feel more self-confident, they are more able to accomplish and set goals for themselves, they have a better understanding of their strengths, they're improving their communication skills, you know, all that stuff that we say we're teaching, they mm -hmm. were telling us back that they're learning, which is so validating and, and yes. maybe it's just me that gets really excited about that but i love it if i can say you know our program does x y and z you know and here let's show the proof of it and i mm -hmm. think that sometimes um you know that that doesn't get on the front of everyone's priority list right but <laughs> i mean it, to a certain extent it's about roi right i mean right why right. should you have nsls on your campus you know well here's why here's the return on your investment right and you know it's the same thing you know for us i mean as a, as an organization we want to show that you're going to get a return on your investment and um, mm -hmm. if you know so assessment is another component that we're really incorporating into everything we do and, you know, it, it's interesting because um, one of the first things I did is, uh, when we started uh, Chell a, a little over a year ago, our, we have these um, regular guides that we do. And the first one was on assessment because I think it's so critical mm -hmm. in higher ed more generally. And it's something that, I'll, you know, I know I struggled a bit with. It's like, what, yeah. you mean we can't just use grades and exams to, to mm -hmm. you know, figure out what students are learning? And it's like, no, you know, especially when you get to the program level and the institutional right. level, you have to be able to say, this is what a graduate of, you know, this college is going to have as their skill set, especially mm -hmm. if they're part of this particular program. And so it really helps refocus things around what do we want students to be getting out of this and you yeah. know becoming more student-centered because you you have to get student feedback on a more regular basis you know mm -hmm. we we worked on getting more alumni feedback especially being a business college when i was at menlo college it's like let's talk to the alumni are did yeah. they get the skills they needed for the jobs they've gotten and so on. So yeah, I think this is just, you know, such an important thing. And, and I'm glad to see that organizations like yours are really taking this on. Yeah, I mean, it really, it's been, it, it's been a pretty long term goal of mine. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm super excited to see where we're at in it. And I hope, you know, definitely, there have been institutions that I've worked with that were doing good learning outcome assessment and learning assessment in their co-curricular programs, but it maybe hasn't been, you know, as widely adopted in that mm -hmm. area. Um, mm -hmm. And so I hope that, you know, we can start to lead by example on that and show, you know, that here it, it could be as easy as this, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't have to be terribly hard to mm -hmm. get the data. And I think that when we talk about assessment and evaluation, it's just about how you set it up in the first place. Exactly. As long as you set it up the right way, then it's not terribly hard to get the data. <laughs> but mm -hmm. it sometimes can feel overwhelming if that's not, you know, if you're not a researcher, you know, mm -hmm. if that's not your background, uh, coming in and needing to, to do those kinds of things is a stretch. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think 
not to not to say at all that we're a leader on learning outcome <laughs> assessment, but that I hope that you know a we can show the impact of our program, but b you know maybe help provide some re some framework that makes it easier for campuses to to implement that. Um, mm -hmm. I have worked a ton with. Uh, community colleges worked with about 150 community colleges to implement our program mm -hmm. um, and so while like a UT Austin uh, probably does have good learning outcome assessment for their leadership programs uh, mm -hmm. community colleges are sometimes lucky if they have a leadership program mm -hmm. uh, and so being able to you know bring some of that experience to the community college level and give them meaningful leadership education and assess it, um, it has been really important to me. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's true. It's, it's easier on, on larger campuses, of course, mm -hmm. to, you know, the whole different programming they have. But I think it's just as critical for, you know, the small colleges to have, yeah. uh, you know, these kinds of programs and around leadership, especially because students are looking for opportunities to, to get that kind of experience and training and, and as an add on, um, you know, but also incorporated into to their learning. So um, I think you know, that, that's a, a really important thing I, I hear a lot from students is, um, and you know, it, it can play into their employment uh, uh, yes. op opportunities, you know, all of that. Um, I mean, certainly we could, then sorry to interrupt you, oh, no, it's a, okay. whole, um, a whole track about leadership and the leadership gap that's being created right now, you know, as boomers are starting to retire out, out of those leadership positions, mm -hmm. the next wave of students is going to need or are going to need to fill those leadership roles more quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, it may not be the old school scenario of, well, you're going to be, you know, in student life for two or three years, and then maybe you're going to move up to a dean position. And then, mm -hmm. you know, that might go from you know, 15 year trajectory to get to a VP role to a eight year trajectory. Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, even in my own career, I saw that I, I went from being a center director. And when I, as soon as I got tenure, I was um, promoted to vice provost, <laughs> you know, which is you know, <laughs> one step below VP. And then, you know, a few years later, I went on to be a provost. So yeah, I think those kinds of career trajectories are, are, are very possible. Um, yeah. Where, you, you know, and actually, I'm seeing a lot of younger people, uh, like <laughs> younger than me, I'm in my 50s. <laughs> um, but you know, folks in their late 30s, early 40s, starting to step into these kinds of leadership positions. So yeah, it's, it's, right. we're definitely seeing kind of a transition and a turnover in leadership. And um, that's why I, I agree with you. We really need to be starting to do this leadership training um, for undergraduate students, but also for graduate students. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of people will, even sometimes when they're in a student affairs position, they will, I had, this happened a lot at UT Austin, where I would be working with um, staff who would go and get their EDD. Um, right. in higher education leadership and you know to, as a means of moving up and getting into a more responsible position mm -hmm. and so um you know it, it's something that is happening with graduate students and you know and staff who are combining work and graduate mm -hmm. school so I, I think that's something to keep an eye on and as oh, a for sure 
Yeah. I know we've started to see a pretty significant pickup in the last maybe two or three years of graduate schools or graduate programs implementing our program. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's not necessarily, um, you know, I wouldn't say it's an undergraduate program or a graduate program. It, it, it's a little more universal than that. And mm-hmm. candidly, I could go through it tomorrow and learn some new things, I think, yeah, about I'm sure myself. I could do that. <laughs> um, and maybe I should. But um, we've had more graduate programs that have adopted the program Johns Hopkins Carey School of Business, oh. CUNY School of Professional Studies. Uh, are offering our program to their students online as a way to provide that leadership development and education, but also in a flexible way that, you know, makes sense for a graduate student or population. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's, that's really interesting. And I, I bet that's only going to grow because I, oh, yeah. I think that, you know, lots of graduate programs, even not just EDDs, um, but, you know, lots of PhD programs, master's programs are finding that, you know, students may be going in, you know, rather than going into academia, they're, they're going into the business sector and they need to have that leadership training and skills because, you know, part of the reason you get that degree is because you want to be, you know, a manager or, or right, you know, right entrepreneur, run your own company, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think that's, you know, definitely a, a, a nice trajectory for, for these kinds of programs. Um, so I always want to make sure I don't forget to ask, um, you know, what kind of advice you would give to our audience and, you know, as, as academic leaders um, based on, on your experience and, and looking at, especially uh, in terms of being a more student-centered leader. Mm. Uh, I think right now, um, and this is <laughs> reinforcing what you're talking about already, but mm-hmm. I think it, the, the word of the day, year, month, um, is, is agility. Yeah. Uh, we've got to be able to listen, to hear the needs of our students, of also candidly, our parents, those are a big part of yes, thank you. Education's <laughs> infrastructure. Um, and, and adapt. It's just a moment where we have to be able to be more adaptable. Um, and traditional policies that have been in place may just not work right now. Right. Um, and so if I can say anything, <laughs> and I know, believe me, because <laughs> my whole plan for this semester, like everybody else's, just went up in smoke. And mm-hmm. I literally, in March, threw out our budget and rewrote it for the year. And you'll probably uh, be rewriting it again. <laughs> yes, because fall certainly isn't looking like it's going to be where we hoped it might be. Yeah. Um, so I would say don't hold on to your plans because you worked real hard on them. I know it's tough to let them go sometimes, but you know, try to really be adaptable to the moment. And um, I've tried to encourage my team to just have a, okay, so we're doing this now approach and just, just roll with it and take deep breaths. Exactly. That's great advice because, and, you know, and I, I will strongly encourage folks to join us. We'll put the link to the conference in our description of the podcast. 
Um, but um, please join us because we're going to be talking about agile le leadership. You just made my my colleague uh, <laughs> Jeff Burstein very happy <laughs> because that's that's going to be uh, the focus of our discussion. But also, I mean, yeah, I, I just want to send a, a, a shout out to all, all our friends in higher ed. You know, mm -hmm. lots of deep breaths. Yes, because you know we are seeing change on a daily basis. It's it's I hate using the word unprecedented because it's way overused during this time, but it really is. And, you know, we're, we're really lucky to have folks like you, Marissa, out there to, to help us work Aww. our way through this. And, you know, please feel free to reach out to her if you're interested in NSLS and um, yeah. all the work, great work that they're doing. Um, and also for NASPA. Um, yeah. I've, I've worked with a lot, uh, a lot, a lot of folks in student affairs over my career, and I've always been very impressed with the work that NASPA does as well. So mm -hmm. we're excited to be working with you guys. And yeah, I, I really appreciate you joining us today. Well, thank you very much, Terry, for the opportunity um, and talking about some of the things today that are close to my heart. <laughs> Indeed. Um, yeah, to, for both of us. I mean, this has really been an enjoyable discussion. And I, I love that we got to nerd out a little bit on assessment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't promise you some of my uh, my colleagues might not roll their eyes at me. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. But any, I know the, my audience is definitely interested in this assessment stuff too. So it's a good thing. Yes. Anyway. Absolutely. All right. Again, thanks. And uh, this is the Higher Education Leadership Podcast. And if you want to join us over at Chell, we're at www.higheredleads.com. And like I said, I'll, I'll put the information about the conference and the um, NASPA and NSLS in our, our description. And I hope everybody has a a wonderful, we're, this, we're recording this right before the, the weekend of the 4th, so um, wishing everybody a wonderful 4th of July uh, and a calm rest of your week. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, take care, Marissa. It's been great talking to you. Thank you, Terry. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>